Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. everybody jj cooper kyle glazer here another baseball america podcast we are we're not just rounded third we're sliding into home here on our 30 podcast to cover all 30 organizations we've been doing this kyle i should say we kyle has been doing this very you know <laughs> regularly for the last couple of months we hope you've enjoyed them and we're saving one of the best for last year or a year last year because we have the Los Angeles Dodgers we're going to talk about today, our current MLB reigning World Series champs. Not only that, but I think you would fairly say the, the most dominant team as far as, you know, what they've done in their division, what they've done as far as reaching the World Series. They finally have cleared that final summit in winning the World Series this past year and a team that that looks still equipped and ready to contend for years to come. This isn't a, uh, you know, uh, a team that's kind of, we talk about teams having cycles. This is the team that seems cycleless. It, it seems like it's one that just is able to replace, you know, players as players age, they just pop in new ones. You know, Clayton Kershaw, still a really good pitcher, but now they have Walker Bueller to, you know, to kind of be their ace of the 2020s. They have a lot like that. Kyle, before we kind of jump in talking about the prospects, not everything went right last year. Gavin Lux did not have the season that you would expect for the reigning, you know, for a guy who had the year he had the year before in 2019. But I have to think, you know, like you've seen this team for a long time. Not a whole lot went wrong last year. Is that fair to say? Well, I think what's actually kind of remarkable is they had a couple of players not really perform. You know, Max Muncie did not hit well during the regular season. Jock Peterson did not hit well during the regular season. Cody Bellinger absolutely had a bit of a slump after winning MVP in 2019. So they actually had a bunch of players, especially during the season, not really play up to the level they're used to. And they still won 43 out of 60 games they played. I mean, this is just an insanely deep team with so many talented guys who can hurt you that you can have two, three, four of your best players have a bad year and you're still the best team in baseball. It's just an incredible testament to the talent base they've built. And it just goes back to so much of this group is homegrown. We talked about it last year. People were framing the World Series as, oh, the mighty Dodgers with all this money they can spend on whoever they want and the small market rays who have to do it the right way, homegrow their guys or work on the margins. Well, half of the Dodgers World Series roster was homegrown. And yes, the money allowed them to resign some of those guys and keep those guys. This is a really, really organic team. Again, half of that World Series roster is homegrown and they have a lot of prospects coming up behind them. I mean, this is a team that for all intents and purposes, after eight straight division titles, making the World Series three in the last four years, they still have, I would say, their best days are still ahead of them, which is crazy to say because this was a historically good team last year that this could have been an all-time great team. This was a team on a 116-win pace, and we just didn't get to see them play a full 162-game season. But this was a truly remarkable team. 
And for the most part, it's all coming back. They do need to re-sign Justin Turner. That would be the big piece. We did see Enrique Hernandez sign with the Red Sox, but if Turner comes back, you can say, yeah, pretty much all the key guys are back. And the thing about it is, is so when we talk now, let's move on to look at the farm system. And the first thing that does stand out is, and this is, this is just because they've been so good at the top of their, their list in, in recent years. The thing that first stands out is, is that this is not a team who has that, that Wander Franco type prospect, that Spencer Torkelson type prospect, that number one who is clearly heads and shoulders above everyone else and is one of the five or 10 best prospects in the game. It looks like, I mean, just looking at the, the list that, you know, that we have out, the list that you worked on, you know, it, it looks like that this is one, there's a lot more of a question like there, but was there a lot of debate about who ended up being number one on this list? Yeah, well, first point I want to make is the reason they don't have a Wander Franco type top 10 overall prospect is because they've had those guys and they've graduated them to the majors. Corey Seager was number one overall prospect. He's become a standout shortstop. Cody Bellinger was a top 10 prospect. He became an MVP. Walker Bueller was just outside our top 10. So they've had top 10 prospects. They've just gotten them to the majors where they've become stars, which is what every team is trying to do. So in terms of where their system is now, there's no question they don't have that top 25 guy but again it's because they have those guys in their major leaguers now with that there is a really good prospect crop here and we've talked about a lot of times as we do these prospect rankings there's a clear number one or a debate between maybe two guys occasionally three this was an interesting group where you legitimately had six candidates all get some love as yeah this guy could be our number one prospect there's an argument for it Diego Cartaya who's number six on this list I had some very high-ranking Dodgers officials say, you know what, if you wanted to go pure upside, you could say this is our number one prospect and you're not wrong, you're not crazy. There's just other guys who have done it and have shown that they can withstand the grind of a full minor league season. Cartaya got into short season ball at the rookie levels, but hasn't had that full season yet. But there's a really, really good group here. And I think what's important to note is Cabert Ruiz checked in at number one. But if we look back 10 years from now and any of these six guys has had the best major league career. No one should be surprised. Bobby Miller, by all accounts, looks like an absolute, I mean, the words animal, monster, just absolute glowing reviews on him were coming out of Instructional League. And there's a lot of sense that, yeah, this guy could be number one at this time next year. Josiah Gray looks like a really good mid-rotation starter. Michael Bush was the best hitter in Arizona at Instructional League. And Cody Hosey was incredible at the alternate site, was tired and was more mediocre at instructional leagues. So opposing scouts aren't as high on him as Dodgers officials are internally. But the point is all six of these guys have legitimate number one in the system type of talent. And anytime you have six prospects of this caliber, in addition to the major league roster you've built, you're in really good shape. And and that's the, the thing that also kind of stands out with this is <laughs> Depth, this is depth of, of premium talent. This, you know, again, it, it's one of those things where depth is always good to have, but there is a certain extent of depth that is an ever replaceable, uh, you know, the cycle of baseball is, is you get to, unless you're the Astros and you've been punished for something recently, you get to draft every year. And so when you say, oh, you know, we've, you know ev- most everyone's going to have first, second, third round picks that give them plausible paths to big leaguers every year. 
that's kind of a ever, you know, an ever returning recycling depth. This is going kind of beyond that. This is depth of guys who it's not just, yes, you get to draft every year, but these are guys who, whether acquired, Josiah Gray was acquired by trade, whether it's by development, whether it's international, whether it's the draft, these are players who their profile has been raised higher than what it was when they were the, you know, a first round pick, a second round pick, a fourth round pick, an eighth round pick, take your pick. Yeah, the Dodgers player development system is the best in baseball. There's not really any argument against that. Uh, you could say the Indians pitcher development might top it individually, but you look at the total picture, hitters, pitchers, everything, it's the Dodgers. And they're really, really, really good at helping guys get better. I wrote about this in the feature article that I wrote before the season. I encourage everyone to check that out. And that gives you a lot of really good players to sort through when doing a top 10 prospect list. Ultimately, what put Cabert Ruiz at number one is for all the talk about quote-unquote prospect fatigue because he's been around for a while and had some ups and downs, we're still talking about a 22-year-old switch-hitting catcher who's reached the majors, can stay behind the plate, and projects as a plus hitter. That's still a really, really, really good player. The Dodgers made some adjustments with him this year just to get him more upright in his stance. He started driving the ball more because he's always made contact, but sometimes he was swinging at pitchers' pitches. Other times it wasn't quite the impactful contact you wanted to see. And we're starting to see that improve. Again, talk about switch hitters and catchers, two profiles that take a little while sometimes to figure everything out. And he's way ahead of the curve given his age and experience level. So ultimately just the combination of skills, where he's at in terms of the fact he's reached the majors and, and is going to be ready this year to begin the year in AAA and should make his way up soon. There's upside, there's proximity. Ultimately it ends up being him I don't want to say it was consensus, but there was a sense that, yeah, this is the guy. When you really sorted it out, all these guys have similar upsides. He's the guy who's closest. You have a premium position. He really should be number one. But again, it's not like there's a huge gap. All these guys are within striking distance. And it's feasible to say, yeah, they could end up being the better big leaguer just because they're all really good. Now, okay, after that, where does this kind of, this group kind of drop off to being a normal farm system. Like, you know, I, I, again, I, I don't mean that like that they're the only ones, but like you look at the Rays, for example, another really good farm system. You look at the Padres who we just recorded a Padres podcast. The Padres have this, I mean, after all the moves they've made, they have this group of premier top level prospects. And then you come on and then all of a sudden you fall off a cliff, nothing against these other prospects, but they're the kind of prospects that everyone has Every team has prospects that have a plausible shot if everything breaks right of being big leaguers, being regulars, thing like that. It feels like that the Dodgers, the Dodgers don't come off a cliff. The Dodgers kind of have a very smooth round off, even after you get past six, seven, maybe even eight on this list. Yeah, and that's what I think really separates this Dodgers farm system from some of the other farm systems we're talking about. There is a tremendous amount of depth here. Just from the top 10 alone, Edwin Rios is still prospect eligible for us at number seven, and he's in the majors making an impact. Ryan Pepio, I mean, he looked like an absolute monster last year when he came to summer camp. He had a great outing at Dodger Stadium. He was the Dodgers' best pitcher at the alternate site by their accounts. Then you have two hitters in Miguel Vargas and Andy Pajes. Miguel Vargas, he was the same age as the high school players who were drafted in 2018. So in his first full season, 2019, he hit 308, 380, 440 while advancing to high A. 
if a high school first round pick had done that, he would have jumped into the top 100. Vargas was, again, the same age as a lot of those guys. So really good hitter. And Andy Pajas, there's people out there who think that he has a chance to be a top 100 prospect in the near future. I mean, you just keep going on and on and on and on. We can go deeper into this a little later, but you get into the 20s, you're talking about guys on here who throw in the upper 90s and just got added to the 40 man. This is an insanely deep system. And that's where the Dodgers are in really good shape to extend this window of eight straight division titles through the last four World Series. Again, there's going to be competition. The Potters have put together a really good team. The Mets are building up. It's very, very hard to win consistently at the major league level. But when you just look at the talent base they've amassed, this doesn't look like it's ending anytime soon. And that's really kind of incredible when you're talking about a team that's been doing this as long as the Dodgers have. I have something I want to ask you about that, so I'm going to follow up on that. But before we do that, we have a quick message. And we're back. So before we dive into the depth of this system, one thing that when you have a very deep system, there is a difference. You know, we do top tens in the magazine. We do top tens initially online as well. So there's a difference between being 10 and being 11. And being a top 10 prospect carries some weight to it. I'm guessing that wasn't easy when you're doing the Dodgers list. No, it wasn't. We talk about the depth and that meant that I had to leave Zach McKinstry out of the top 10. And I hated doing that. And the reason is, so I've done the Cardinal system in years past. I've done the Potter system for a lot of years. And Tommy Edmond and Jake Cronenworth are two players who I liked. We put good grades on. They both ranked in the top 15. So in the top half of top half farm systems in baseball. I had Tommy Edmond 12th in the Cardinal system. I had Jake Cronenworth 14th in the Potters. Those are solid rankings in really good farm systems. But in retrospect, they were too low. Both these guys went out. They consistently put the bat on the ball. They move all over the field. They're good athletes. They have great baseball instincts. McKinstry just checks all the boxes of being that next guy. This is a guy that just consistently hits everything. He uses the whole field. He drives the ball hard on the line. He's starting to add some power. He played really, really well at the alternate site. He did get his first big league call up. It was brief, but he got there. He's performed really at the upper levels and he can move all around the infield. He plays a good shortstop. He plays a good second base. He can play the outfield. It's that Edmund Cronenworth type of package who has a chance to get to the big leagues and be more than just the kind of stereotypical utility man. I mean, Edmund and Cronenworth are starting infielders on playoff teams. Ultimately, just in speaking with Dodgers officials and opposing officials, it wasn't any knock on McKinstry. It was more reflection of they think Miguel Vargas and Andy Pajas and Ryan Pepio can be really, really freaking good. So ultimately they should rank ahead, but I hated leaving Zach McKinstry out of this top 10. And I have a feeling he's going to do me like Edmund and Cronenworth did and be even better than where I had them ranked, which again, they were ranked top half and top half farm systems in baseball, but in retrospect, they should have been even higher. So going beyond that, you know, does this league, does this list have a drop off, you know, at, at, at 15, at 20, where, where does it drop off to where you go? Okay. At this point, I, the way I describe it, like, again, the Rays is a very deep system. One of the ways to me, a deep system is go to 30. And now this year in the prospect handbook, we're going beyond 30, but we do 30 full write-ups. There aren't many systems where I'm sitting there at, 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 at number 30 and I'm feeling like, ah, I wish I could write this guy up or I wish I could write that guy up. Last year, to give you an example, it worked out to be able to write him up for the handbook, but Josh Fleming was just at the back of the raise list. 
And there were a lot of guys. It's like, okay, do I write up this guy or do I write up that guy? Really glad I wrote up Josh Fleming, who made it, you know, to the majors with them. But was this a Dodgers system where you felt like I wish I could write up this guy with the full report who didn't make the 30? Or is there somewhere around 24, 25 where you're like, okay, now I've written up the main guys and, and after this it kind of tails off? No, I wrote up 30 guys and wished I could have written full reports on eight more. There wasn't a drop-off. I'm actually working on a project about this. Very, very, very rarely do teams have more than legitimately 15 to 20 prospects in the system. Guys who go on to have major league careers, and sometimes you'll have another handful that get up, get a cup of coffee. But some of the very best farm systems of all time, and it surprised me as I've done this early research, you will find some teams that yeah, they had 30, 35 guys in their system who eventually got to the majors. Now, some of them, it was only for a couple games, but they got there. The Dodgers right now, I mean, I go down to you know, number 37 in their system, and it is very, very easy to see a path where, yeah, this guy gets to the majors. There's something here that you like. These are legitimate prospects. One of the things I like to do is look at, okay, where would one guy in one system rank in another system because saying so-and-so is the number 28 prospect, not all number 28 prospects are created equal. I look at a guy who didn't make my 30. An example would be German Rosario, a really promising young pitcher in the Dodgers system. He would be a top 10 prospect in bottom tier systems. He'd be a top 15 to 20 prospect in the kind of middle tier system. So that gives you an idea of what we're talking about here from a depth perspective. Guys who didn't even make the Dodgers top 30 would be top 10 prospects in some of the bottom tier systems in baseball and 15-ish prospects in some of the middle tier systems. This is an insanely deep system. So, okay, now the question becomes, what do they do with that? Because, so here's the good news. It's an incredibly deep system. Here's the bad news is depth of prospects is a steadily eroding asset. And what I mean by that is, is that, Players, players climb the ladder. At some point, you know, you're, they either become 40-man eligible and you have to put them on the 40-man. You only have so many spots on the 40-man. If you can't put them on the 40-man, then you could lose them that way. At some point, they reach AAA. They've kind of done what they can do in the minor leagues, but you have to have a spot for them to, if they're major league caliber, to play in the majors. In some, you know, the, the Padres have taken, they had this kind of depth, and I would say it was similar type depth. And what they've done is, is that they have said, we're trading away 20-some of those players to help the big league club. Dodgers haven't done that to that extent yet. Where, where do you think that they do with this depth right now? If you're, you know, So I'll start with where do you think they'll do with this depth? Because, again, you have players like this. A lot of these guys are further away, but the Dennis Santanas of the world, you have players who you're going to have to figure out what you're doing with them before too long because – Otherwise, you know, you're, you're going to lose them at some point. Yeah, so the Dodgers in general under Andrew Friedman, they've certainly been willing to pull the trigger on big trades at times. We saw that with the Mookie Betts and David Price trade. We saw that with the Manny Machado trade. You go back to the Rich Hill-Josh Reddick trade in 2016. So they're willing to pull the trigger on some big deals. It's just going to be a case of seeing where the holes are. I mean, when you kind of map out this team right now, Depending on what they do with Justin Turner, maybe they need to make a trade for a third baseman. I think in terms of their relief core, they would be well-suited to be willing to trade from a higher caliber of their prospects to go get some bullpen help at times. In the past, they've really only traded guys who are 
the 25 to 30 range. If they start being willing to trade guys in the 10 to 20 range of their system, they can get some higher caliber arms. We talked about like what the Braves did, getting a Chris Martin, getting a Shane Green, trading from that crop of prospects. So yeah, I mean, they have the ammunition to make any trade they want. And depending on what happens, I mean, look, Clayton Kershaw is 32. Kenley Jansen, we know his time is coming to an end. There are some players they'll need to replace and they have the prospect capital to go make those moves. And I think that'd be the right way to go about it because truthfully, they don't have a lot of long-term financial commitments outside of bets. It would be best for them to use that money to lock up Corey Seager and Cody Bellinger and Walker Bueller long-term rather than going and splurging on a ton of different free agents. I think that would be the best use of their money. And I think using these prospects as trade capital to fill in whatever holes they need would be the best way to go about that. Okay, uh, I'll put you on the spot uh, one other way. Who from the top 10 or the top 30, again, this is a team that doesn't have a whole lot of openings right now because they're really good at the major league level. They're the defending World Series champs. Who do you see that you could say in 2021, this player is going to likely... Edwin Rios is an easy one. I'm taking one off the board for you because Edwin Rios was on the roster, you know, he was part of the dog pile, you know, at the World Series. So, okay, you know, he's already there. He just barely qualifies this. But is there anyone else who stands out here as like, yeah, this player is the one who could really help them in 2021? Yeah, I mean, Zach McKinstry is going to get the first crack at replacing Kike Hernandez, that kind of role. Chris Taylor is obviously their main utility guy, and they had Kike along with him, and McKinstry is going to be the guy who gets the shot to replace Kike. And Kike Hernandez did some good, important things for the Dodgers. When you look at the top 10, Josiah Gray, I think, would be the natural pick just in terms of right-handed pitcher, got up to double A. He's really, really impressively polished for a guy who was a converted guy from a Division II school. There's still things to work on, namely his changeup, but you see the fastball and slider. You see his ability to hold his velocity. You see his ability to command his pitches. There's a lot to like there. I can see him coming up and helping. They probably won't need the rotation help, although you say that injuries always happen. Uh, so he's a candidate. And look, Cabert Ruiz has gotten to the majors. There isn't an avenue for everyday playing time for him right now with Will Smith and Austin Barnes there. But if one of them gets hurt, then yeah, there's an opening. So, I mean, Ruiz and Gray, part of the reason they're one-two when the talent level of all these guys is fairly similar. When you get your prospect handbooks, you'll see the grade on pretty much the top five prospects. It's the exact same grade. The only difference is the risk based on what levels they've ascended to. Ruiz and Gray are the guys who are furthest up the ladder. Those are the two most natural guys but you're right. When you look at the depth of the Dodgers roster, the guy with the easiest path to a surefire role is actually Zach McKinstry as that second utility guy to pair with Chris Taylor. And one other with that, I don't think necessarily there is one, but is there anyone on this list who's so blocked, who, you know, is basically big league ready. And it's like, they're probably going to have to trade him. You know, I don't see anyone that jumps out from the, again, I, there are players who you're like, okay, Diego Cartaya, you just mentioned, this is a team that has impressive, they, they traded Connor Wong, you know, in, in a move and nothing against Connor Wong. They don't miss him because they have Will Smith. They have Cabert Ruiz coming, you know, they have a plenty of options to catcher. This is a team that does a really good job of developing catchers, but Cartaya is far enough away. He's not blocked. I mean, he's just not, you know, like, yes, they already have catchers. I don't see anyone on this. Like Edwin Rios is one that maybe, you know, but, is there someone you see on here? It's like this player is probably ticketed to be traded at some point. 
Yeah, that's tough. You know, it's funny. I just mentioned Cabert Ruiz is a guy who could come up to the majors. Probably do want to keep him uh, both for his talent level and just the fact that catcher attrition is a very real thing. But if the Dodgers feel like they need an impact something at some point, they can say, we have Will Smith and we like Austin Barnes. You can see how much they value Austin Barnes's defense in the postseason every year. He would probably be the guy where you say, okay, we feel like we can trade him and be okay. With Josiah Gray, you can never have too much pitching depth. He's really good. You probably do want to hold on to him. Michael Bush and Cody Hosey, Bush again, it was just such a dynamic hitter at instructional league, whether that means he eventually becomes a second baseman or the NL gets the DH or he becomes a new Max Muncy and bounces around from first to second. You want to hold on to him. And, and then you probably want to hold on to Cody Hosey as well, just because even if you do re-sign Justin Turner, where it is he wants a four-year deal, realistically, you're not going to give him more than a two-year deal. And when those two years are up, you need a replacement. Hosey's the guy in your system you look to for that. So you probably want to keep most these because I would say Ruiz, again, is the guy you look at right now and say, okay, he's probably the most, yeah, we, we could be okay trading him, but you still don't want to trade him. Right. Again, they're in an enviable position. The team that is right now the best team in baseball. I don't think there's a debate about that. They're World Series champs, but not only that, they, they win their division Every year, I, they, they win their division at a run that basically you have to go back to the Braves of the 90s to find something similar. And now, like the Braves of the 90s, they have their one world, you know, they have one World Series crown. But this is a team that is equipped, that is built, that has the player development. The, I, I think it's before we wrap this up, I mean, it's worth noting the thing that is so impressive. We talk about how deep the system is. This is a team that is really good year in, year out. I'm just going to rattle through. Here is the first pick that the Dodgers have had in recent drafts. Last year it was 29, 31, 30, 23, 20, 24. You know, this is a team that does not pick in the top half of the first round. Pretty much they haven't. I mean, you, you have to go back to Clayton Kershaw. That's the last time that the, the Dodgers had a top 10 pick. It's a long time ago now. And that has not slowed them down. That is supposed to slow you down. It is supposed to be that the difference between picking in the top five in an MLB draft and picking 25 is massive. The difference is, is that it is something where at top five, there are absolutely going to be misses. But you have a really good shot of finding a productive big leaguer. At 25, it is much more variance whether you're going to be able to pull that off. That's not been true for the Dodgers. And that is one of the things that just stands out and is why, I mean, again, I'll kind of wrap us up here. I'll throw one more question. You're kind of wrapping up the way we started. Most teams, we talk about windows. Is this a team that is in a window or do you see any sign that, you know, that, okay, when you look at it in 23, or 24 as these players age, Turner is going to age out at some Justin Turner, who currently is unsigned, but even if they re-sign him, Justin Turner does not have six more years of being an elite level player. Clayton Kershaw, the best pitcher of his generation, one can argue, but five years from now, he's not going to be the guy that he was five years ago. Is this a window that eventually is closing or does this look like they're still kind of, 
in the in a stretch where you look at them in 24, 25 and say, oh yeah, they still should be one of the contenders. It's still wide open because they draft and develop so well that they're able to continue bringing in elite level players. We talked about, you still have Walker Bueller, Cody Bellinger, and Corey Seager, all 26 or younger. I mean, those are elite, elite players. They brought up Dustin May and Tony Gonsolin in 2019, put them in the starting rotation last year, also 26 or younger. I mean, there's still so much youth here that, yeah, you can absolutely see this continuing on for another three, four, five years minimum. And, oh, by the way, Mookie Betts is also still firmly in his prime as, for my money, the second best player in baseball behind only Mike Trout. So this isn't ending anytime soon. I will say that Padres have loaded up. This is going to be a really, really fun race in the National League West. The Mets, again, they're loading up. The Braves have a lot of talent, took the Dodgers to game seven of the NLCS last year. So no one's invincible. It's not, there's zero chance anyone else is going to beat them. Of course not. It's baseball. Things happen. But they are in excellent shape talent-wise and also infrastructure-wise to continue to be one of the best teams in baseball for the foreseeable future, whether that's three years, five years, six years, seven years. Again, it's going to depend on if they are able to sign Seager, Bellinger, and Bueller to long-term extensions, if they're able to continue drafting and developing as well as they have. But based on their financial might and based on their track record, there's no reason to think they can't do those things. And if they do them, they're going to continue to be a force, really, I think, for as long as you can reasonably project out. And the other thing I think we probably should mention, too, is that well, yes, the other thing that is we should acknowledge is they also are a team that has the financial wherewithal that, you know, obviously that puts them in a more advantageous position than many teams. They, you know, they are a team that could go out and acquire Mookie Betts. Now, again, they acquired them from Boston, which logically should be a team that also has the financial wherewithal to keep and pay one of the best players, two best players in baseball. But they are a team that can go out and acquire Mookie Betts and say, oh yeah, we can keep them. They're a team that can go out, you know, that when we say like, can they keep Corey Seager? There's, we're, you know, the question is, is are they going to decide to structure that within their financial system? Not, oh, there's no chance that they're going to be able to keep him and there's no way that they're going to pay him. Those do give them advantages over many teams. But that said, the way they got here is because they've developed the Corey Seegers, the Walker Buehlers, the Dustin Mays, the Tony Gonsolins, the Will Smiths. We could just keep going on and on because they are, this is not a team that just goes out and buys contenders. They really, more than anything, they develop and then keep their own. And like you mentioned, they also have found the Max Muncy's, the Chris Taylor's going back to the Justin Turner's. Even when they've gone out and acquired players, this more often been they've acquired low cost players and helped them develop into stars rather than they went out and acquired stars other than bets. Again, they've done it all. And I do want to be fair. I mean, they did go out, they acquired you Darvish, they acquired Manny mm-hmm. Machado, they acquired Josh Reddick and Rich Hill. So it's really, they've done it all. They've drafted and developed extraordinarily well. They've found low-cost players, as you mentioned. They've acquired standouts to put them over the top when they needed to. And when you're kind of hitting on all cylinders and doing everything well, you're going to have a historic run like they've had. Again, this is a team that's been in three of the last four World Series, and the year they didn't get there, they won 106 games and lost to the eventual World Series champion. 
this is how you get to that point. And now it's just about keeping it up. I think the fact that they have a World Series trophy now definitely is a little bit of a monkey off the back. We need to see how everything continues to play out moving forward. But again, you, you look at the talent they've assembled, and to me, this is still the best team in Major League Baseball. I think it's going to be a really, really fun season seeing them and the Padres go at it. I don't want to sit here and say that they're invincible and no one can touch them because no one is ever that way. But again, bring back Justin Turner is a big part of this. Jock Peterson's also a free agent. He did not hit well in the regular season, but he was clutch in the postseason. If they feel like they want to bring him back, I mean, doesn't make you worse having him on your team. Certainly a good player. I really look at the Justin Turner situation. They really probably do need to bring him back, both for what he's able to give them on the field and from a clubhouse leadership standpoint. I think if they had him at third base, I'd feel really, really good about where they are. But even without him, this is still an incredibly talented team that is the World Series favorite, and every team is gunning for them. They're the top dogs, and they're the standard bearer right now. Again, they were on a 116-win pace last year, and even if they slowed down and went 109, you're still talking about an all-time great team. And we saw it come out in the postseason, just their talent level. They were able to overcome a 3-1 deficit against the Braves. They were able to overcome some really poor pitching decisions. Their talent level just allowed them to overcome any obstacle. And I don't really see that changing materially for the next year, two, three, again, depending on if they re-sign their guys and keep developing as they have been. I apologize if you're a Giants fan or a Rockies fan or a D-backs fan listening to this and you've made it this far in, which you may not have if you're the, you know, but we're just telling the truth here. I mean, again, we're not trying to just praise the Dodgers, just praise them. But this is a team that is doing a lot of things very well. It's hard not to notice that, you know. And and again, yeah, I, it, it does feel like, again, the Giants are are on their way to their rebuild, but they're obviously clearly a, a notch or two or five behind where the uh, Padres and Dodgers are right now. I think you could say the D-backs. And I, I mean, again, if you're the Rockies in the West right now, I don't have a plausible I, – I'm sorry, Rockies fans. I do not have a plausible path to where over the next several years you are going to get from where you are right now to contending with the two teams who are the beast of the NL West, probably for 21, probably for 22, and I think realistically for 23 and maybe beyond as well. I mean, this is a division where you have two teams that are – not just equipped to contend for World Series title in 21, but for several years to come. And that makes it really tough if you're another team in the NL West. Yeah, again, I, I just go back to, as we talked about, um, I'm a big believer in you got to show it on the field. And until someone physically knocks the Dodgers off, and in fairness, the Rockies did take the Dodgers to game 163 in 2018. All it takes is, you know, a couple pitching injuries. Yeah, it's baseball. Things happen. But this is a really good team that's here to stay and it would not surprise me nor should surprise anyone. If we look back in a couple of years and they've added a couple more world series trophies, they're positioned to do that with the major league team they have with the players they currently have in their farm system, with the scouting department they've put together, both on the amateur side and the pro side, all the pieces are in place. It is. It's going to be interesting to watch in 2021. We thank you for the download. We thank you for subscribing to the Baseball America podcast. And if you do, feel free to leave us a review on your favorite uh, podcast uh, catcher, whether that's iTunes, whether that's uh, Google Play, whether that's Stitcher. I could keep going on. I'm a podcast addict guy myself. So for Kyle Glazer, I'm JJ Cooper. 
So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.